Oh. So Advent is about waiting and hope and anticipation for Jesus to come. However, it's not waiting for him to be born. He's done that. He did that. Well, what we're waiting for is Judgment Day. Wait a minute, what? Wait, that can't be right. Is this the right sermon? Yeah, okay, we're waiting for Judgment Day. Yeah. Let's look at this. Start from the ground that we're at, okay? Humankind has had thousands of years to experiment with governments and administrations and lifestyles. Why are we unable to solve our problems? The prophet Jeremiah warns, it is not in a man to direct his own steps. And Solomon, the king of ancient Israel, put it bluntly. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Look at us, rich and poor, separated by a wall. How stupid is that? Some of us taking way more than our share. People throwing stuff away that they needed. People throwing the planet away. People throwing their best friends away. How much does it suck? Are we waiting for Judgment Day? Do we need God to fix this? Here's the good news. The first coming of Christ begins the uniting of God's holy realm, heaven, with our earthly realm coming together. Jesus began that in his first coming. He made peace between us and God. He forgives our sins. He gives us his Holy Spirit so we can walk in his path. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. But wait a second, aren't we already saved? Aren't we going to heaven when we die? Here's the thing, heaven as we've always pictured it is not our end hope, it's a waiting room. Heaven is a waiting room. Is that weird? Eternal life is so much more than that. We actually hope for judgment day. God's promise. Judgment day is the day of the Lord, not just punishments and rewards, but the transforming of everything that was damaged, distorted, and diseased, and making it right, true, and good. The profound healing of all creation. 1 Corinthians 29, Paul says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And Isaiah says, Behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. And writing to Titus, Paul says, we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The second coming of Christ, Jesus will complete what he began on the cross. He will resurrect the, death, resurrect the dead and end death forever. Are we waiting for that? Yeah. He will separate the people who love him from the people who hate him and he will destroy evil forever. 
Will that be a good thing to have evil gone? Just gone? He will establish his rule over the whole world. His people will rule under him. The whole earth will be a recreation of the Garden of Eden. You want that? How many of you are gardeners? You know, are you sick of fighting the world? <laughs> yeah. Every nation will be blessed through the rule of Jesus. Nations will receive his rule gladly and work together in peace, blessing each other. I mean, it's hard to imagine such a thing. God's own personal presence will permeate every square inch of creation. Are we waiting for Judgment Day? Yeah, you're starting to get into this, huh? In Revelation, listen to this, the angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. We sing this over and over every Christmas, but we don't think about what it means. Listen again to what we just read. The government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom and order it and establish it with just justice and judgment from that time forward forever and ever. Ah, <sighs> But we struggle to hope, don't you? How old were you when you learned not to care too much? I mean, that's kind of a painful question, but how old were you when you realized that promises sometimes get broken and hoping too much for, for too big hurts? Look at what's promised to us. It's, it's like trying to look at the sun. It's so good we can't stand it. C.S. Lewis has this wonderful quote. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant, by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We settle. Is that part of what Jesus means when he talks about you of little faith? I think it might be. There's a story in the Old Testament about Moses when he was going up on Mount Sinai to talk to God and he, he took with him 70 men from the tribes of Israel. God had said, you know, take them up here. They went about halfway up the mountain, and Moses camped them out on the, on the slopes there. And he said, wait here. I'm going to go up to the top and talk to God. You wait here, and I'll come back. Just, just camp out. Stay here until I come back. And then we'll go back down to the tribes, and we'll take God's words to them. And Moses was gone up on top of the mountains for 40 days, which is Bible code for a long time, you know, let's say six weeks, all right? What do you think happened to those 70 men? I mean, they'd been told to camp out. They had food, they had a spring, they, you know, I mean, they could have waited, but they didn't. They gave up. After a while, you know, by twos and threes and ones, they trickled off back down the mountain because they couldn't wait that long. 
And by the time Moses came back down, they were washing the golden calf down there, way off the rails. Many people now are having trouble waiting for the Lord because the delay is long. It's been 2,000 years already, more. It's hard to wait. Let's look at Romans. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, Christ died. In one sense, he'd been dead since before creation, he had sacrificed his blood. But in the sense that human beings waiting for the Messiah to show up, he showed up at the right time. The time God said was, was it. The Bible is full of people waiting for God to fulfill his promises. Think about Abraham waiting for a son and waiting and waiting and giving up and trying something else. Think about Israel waiting in Egypt and waiting and waiting and Israel waiting in Babylon in their exile and waiting and waiting. And Israel waiting in the silence between the end of the prophets talking and the coming of the Messiah. Is God going to show up? Was that just a fable? Was that a myth? I'm sure lots of people began to think so. Hebrews 11, Paul says, These all died in faith, not having received the things that were promised, but having seen them and greeted them from far off, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So we wait. Romans again. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. While we wait, while we wait, we pray for God's kingdom to come here on earth in our hearts as it is in heaven. Right? We know this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's Jesus praying when Jesus was already here. He's praying, God, kingdom come, make it here like it is in heaven. So to look for his coming is to prepare for his coming. We need to conform to Christ, not to this world. I was flipping through Pinterest and I found, here's conforming to this world. Some guru of spiritual life says, even if you can't change all the people around you, you can change the people you choose to be around. Life is too short to waste your time on people you don't respect you, appreciate you, and value you. Spend your life with people who make you smile, laugh, and feel loved. Yeah, yeah it's all about me. Sure, okay, I'll spend my whole life 
suiting myself, cherry-picking the people I'm going to be around if they make me happy. If they don't, I scrape them off, right? But no, while we're waiting for Jesus, we're being conformed to Jesus. The church is one form of God's kingdom here on earth. We are to love the way Jesus loves. C.S. Lewis again. He says, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is supposed to do. It does not mean that we're to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who thought the most about the world to come were the ones who did the most in this world. That's our job. We're to be doing what Jesus did, preaching and teaching and healing and casting out evil spirits and redeeming and seeking the lost. That's what we're supposed to be doing while we wait for Jesus to come and bring his kingdom here to earth. When Jesus is in you by his Holy Spirit, the kingdom is present in you. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. We grow in Christ. Here's Paul in, in Philippians, just a little word of encouragement in case you are like me and you get tired of trying to grow. He says, be confident in this very thing that he who has begun, begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will do it in you. He is doing it in you. So the day of the Lord... The day of the Lord comes. Jesus sets it up. I've lost my scroll here. <laughs> okay. Jesus is setting up the day of the Lord. He is beginning his ministry. He's gone to synagogue. He's asked to uh, read from the scroll of Isaiah. And this is what he reads. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's more to this verse that Jesus didn't say. There's another line. After the year of the Lord's favor, the next line is, and the year of vengeance of our God. Because what Jesus was inaugurating was not yet the year of God's vengeance. First, there's the presence of Jesus himself. And then there's the presence of his church and his gospel being preached around the world. And then comes the judgment and the day of the Lord. Okay? And here's where our hearts start pounding because the Bible warns that the coming of the day of the Lord, there's going to be great suffering and his people are not to give up hope. And we're kind of like, no, I don't want to do that. But think about this. Jesus, when he comes on judgment day, will destroy evil. He'll destroy evil. Think about whatever evil thing crosses your mind, it's gone. It's the end of death. Okay? Check this out. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. 
For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Here's a nya 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 nya. Oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where's your sting? For the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that in your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen? Amen. Amen. We will be resurrected. Remember, resurrected Jesus was the same as before. He ate. You could touch him, you know, you could pat his head if he let you. He, he, you know, he was the same person. But he was also a radically different person. And what's true of Jesus will be true of us. You know, he was walking through walls and appearing here and then disappearing and going there and stepping in and out of the kingdom at will. All that's going to be true of us too because we'll be like him. Heaven and earth will be united. That means the bride of Christ, that's us and all our brothers and sisters who have lived before and will live after us, all of us will be perfected. The bride of Christ will be clean and ready for the wedding. Oh, sorry, I keep losing my spot here. I'm just going to read through this. His people will be perfected by faithfulness. Here we go. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we will be like him, for we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Isn't that a glorious thought? Wonderful. Eden will be restored. We'll have access to the tree of life. Remember in, in Revelation, it talks about the tree of life being planted on both sides of the main street of the new city, and it has fruit every year and every month you just go pick fruit. My favorite part about that, it says the, the leaves are for the healing of the nations. Just take a deep breath and think about nations healed. The nations will be healed. If you read through Revelation, <laughs> there's a, a long part about where the, uh, an angel is taking John on a tour through the, the new city and He's taking measurements, and you're thinking, what, what is the deal with these measurements? This is crazy. And if you calculate the measurements, it's like the New Jerusalem is a cube. <laughs> and first you're thinking, what, the Borg? <laughs> really? They're coming? But no, it's a cube because in the original tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, where God meets his people, the, the, the seat of judgment and blessing and mercy, was a cube. It was cube-shaped. 
So when the new Jerusalem comes as a cube, that means the Holy of Holies comes to earth and now earth is a temple. The whole thing is a temple. And the new Jerusalem is the Holy of Holies. Isn't that cool? Creation is reborn, just like Jesus was raised from the dead, all of creation will be redeemed from corruption. You, talk, you read through Revelation, it talks about there's going to be any sea anymore, and I think, oh, wait, no, I love the sea, no. In the Bible, the sea is a metaphor for chaos and unruliness and disorder and danger. No more of that, none of it. Disease and desolation is gone. Yep, wrong one. Here it is. There we go. Disease and desolation is on. Check this out. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become like a pool and the thirsty ground like bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Are you ready for that? That is so cool, isn't it? Let's look at what Micah says. If I can find, there we go. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord will go from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Amen? The last day will be the first day. We dread the trials of the end times, but we are not destined for the end. We are destined for the beginning. Amen. I'm going to read a rather lengthy passage from Revelation. This is just by way of saying, here's what we're looking forward to. Would you please stand and listen to this word of God and place your hope, let it fly free. I'll let Deborah get out of the way up here. This is the prophecy of God, the John that God showed to him. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. 
He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is the sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come and gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of the kings and generals and mighty men and the horses and their riders and the flesh of all the people, free and slave and great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider and the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had proclaimed the signs on its behalf. And with these signs he had deluded and deceived those who received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear, for the linen is the righteous deeds of God's holy people. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.